The Philadelphia International Airport is a very busy location, serving 31.7 million passengers every year. However, just a bit east, directly ahead of one of its runways, is a naval base filled with 31 derelict-looking ships. It is an eye-catching sight for anybody visiting the area, though perhaps even more interesting is that this is no ordinary shipyard. Instead, it is one of the three bases holding many of the United States' most remarkable and storied vessels, all of which are a part of the so-called mothball fleet, named for their obsolescence and despair. Their stories are long and vast, yet their fate seems equally mysterious. This is the story of Philadelphia's abandoned battleships. I'm your host, Ryan Sokash, and you're watching It's History. Today, we will discover some of Philadelphia's most unusual military decay, mysterious ships that stand in stillness. But if you prefer action, especially from World War II, you'll love our sponsor, Call of War. Call of War is a free peer versus peer strategy game where you'll choose a real country to lead during the Second World War, fight up to 100 other players in real-time battles that can last for weeks, choose your own strategy to engage in epic battles, conquer the world when you declare war on your neighbors, or forge alliances with other players. I really appreciate how the action was depicted in-game. The experiences are truly memorable. So play this game on mobile or PC, get your exclusive gift of 13,000 gold and one month of premium subscription for free by clicking my link in the description below. Act fast because this offer is only available for 30 days. And now back to the abandoned ships of Philadelphia. Within this facility are some of the United States' Navy's most impressive vessels, and at one point hosted the most decorated battleship in history. So before examining why they're here, let's have a look at the actual ships and their impressive service records. The oldest vessel in Philadelphia's mothball fleet is the USS Barry DD-933. As a quick aside, we will include hull classifications when introducing these vessels. The letters indicate what kind of ship it is, and the numbers identify an individual ship within a classification. In this case, DD means that Barry is a destroyer, and 933 is her code. Barry is a Forrest Sherman-class destroyer laid down on March the 15th, 1954, in Bath, Maine by the Bath Ironworks Corporation, launched on October the 1st, 1955, and commissioned on September the 7th, 1956. Barry was fitted with new electronics and gear at the Boston Naval Shipyard as November came and went. Afterwards, she went to Guantanamo Bay in Cuba to continue the shakedown. By May of 1960, she was performing routine operations off the East Coast. In June, she traveled to Portsmouth, England, then to Kiel in West Germany, conducting naval reviews and import sonar demonstrations. Throughout July, her crew discussed various technological and security topics with other navies in the Netherlands, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, and Belgium. In 1962, with the advent of the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the world came rather close to the apocalypse, Barry formed part of the blockade around the newly armed islands. 
1965, she also saw deployment to Vietnam, earning two battle stars for her valiant service. Later, she continued operations around the East Coast and the Caribbean, generally taking training and demonstrational roles. Notably, she was the assistant recovery ship for the Gemini 4 space shot, NASA's Project Gemini's second crewed spaceflight. But then it was time for upgrades, so on January the 31st, 1967, she was decommissioned for refittings. Over 15 months, she received a variable depth of sonar array and anti-submarine rocket launchers, a new combat information center and an enclosed bridge, not to mention a complete overhaul of the propulsion and electronic system. With the refit complete and the new commander at her helm, the Navy recommissioned her on April the 19th, 1968. She continued her standard patrol duties and in 1974 took part in several operations during the Turkish invasion of Cyprus in August. In September, Admiral James L. Holloway boarded the Barry during her tracking of a sonar contact. As a part of the destroyer's replacement program, the Navy decommissioned her once more on November the 5th, 1982, at which point she entered the mothball fleet. She was initially a museum ship in the Washington Naval Yard in the nation's capital, yet with a lack of attendance and projects that would have trapped her, the Navy opted to scrap Barry, having her travel to Philadelphia on one final voyage. You'll notice a common trend between the ships in this yard is cannibalization. Now I know that might sound bad, but the term refers to the action akin to recycling in a naval context. The Navy removes any sensitive electronics, drains the fuel, seals the interior, and carefully air conditions it. The metal then gains an electronic charge as a finishing touch, so rust has a more difficult time growing as the ship awaits its fate. The assassination of President John F. Kennedy shook the nation to its very core, as he had many ties to the U.S. Navy, receiving two awards. The Navy commissioned several vessels bearing the late president's name. The first was the USS John F. Kennedy, CVA-67. She is a carrier in a class of her own, an alteration of the Kitty Hawk class. Initially a fixed-winged attack carrier, she later became a multi-purpose aircraft carrier being designated as CV-67, laid down on October the 22nd, 1964 by the Newport News Shipbuilding and Dry Docks Company and launched on May the 27th, 1967. Her sponsor was the late president's daughter, Miss Caroline Kennedy. The Navy commissioned this special vessel on September the 7th, 1968, and placed Captain Earl P. Yates in command. Her initial years found her on the eastern seaboard, the waters around Guantanamo Bay and the Mediterranean Sea. She took part in the naval operations of the Yom Kippur War in 1973 and underwent a year-long overhaul in 1979, retaining operation in 1980. She served the flagship of Carrier Group 4, taking part in peacekeeping operations in Lebanon, then being overhauled once more in 1984. In July of 1986, she took part in the International Naval Review, honoring the 100th anniversary of France gifting the Statue of Liberty. 
On the 4th, President Ronald Reagan visited the ship, as did over 8,000 American citizens. Afterwards, she departed for the Mediterranean yet again. In 1990, she became the flagship for the Red Sea Battle Force Commander for the Persian Gulf War. During Operation Desert Shield, she blazed ahead of the rest of the Baltic group, even outrunning the timetable for deployment. With the last cries for peace drowned, Operation Desert Storm began. At that time, Rear Admiral Riley D. Mixon addressed the ship since she was the ablest vessel to take action in the invasion. You have trained hard. You are ready. Now, let's execute. For the air crews, we are all very, very proud of you. I wish you good hunting and Godspeed. Between then and the ceasefire that ended the conflict, the USS John F. Kennedy launched 114 airstrikes, 2,895 sorties, being the source of a total of 11,263.4 flight hours. The crew was exhausted, and understandably so. After a stop in Egypt, she arrived back in the United States on March the 28th, 1991. To much fanfare and celebration, 30,000 family members and supporters welcomed Big John, as the ship had come to be known, back home in a celebration more enormous than any seen in the last 40 years. The USS John F. Kennedy continued to serve into the 21st century, participating in the War on Terror. However, she had become highly costly to maintain. So on March the 23rd, 2007, the Navy decommissioned her, reaching the Philadelphia Naval Shipyard on October the 16th, 2009. The Navy struck her from the Naval Vessel Register on the same day, and now she remains there, awaiting her final fate. The USS Ticonderoga resting in the Philadelphia Naval Yard is the fifth U.S. naval vessel bearing the name. After Ticonderoga, New York, whose fort saw much of the harshest fighting in the northern United States during the American Revolution, the Ingalls Shipbuilding Division of Lytton Industries laid down the fifth Ticonderoga on January the 21st, 1980. Initially a guided missile destroyer with the hull classification DDG-47, however after she gained flagship capabilities as a part of the cancelled strike cruiser program, her designation changed to CG-47, becoming a Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser. First launched on April the 25th, 1981, sponsored by First Lady Nancy D. Reagan, the Navy commissioned her on January the 22nd, 1983, helmed by Captain Ronald G. Gilbert. His first exercises took place in the Caribbean and Atlantic as she deployed on October the 20th, 1983. As a part of the USS Independence Carrier Task Force, Ticonderoga took part in peacekeeping operations in Lebanon along with the USS John F. Kennedy. And like the Kennedy, she had a role to play in the Gulf War. She took part in Operation Desert Shield, providing air coverage and patrols. However, she returned to Port Northfolk on September the 12th, 1990 for an overhaul. Reinforced and ready for action, she attached to Battle Force Zulu to undergo operations during Desert Storm. Acting as the Arabian Gulf Track Coordinator, she did her duty exceptionally, and after the Gulf War returned to the Caribbean for counter-narcotics operations. These operations continued into the 2000s, until the 9-11 attacks where she was redeployed to the Gulf Coast to support Operation Noble Eagle, 
preventing any suspicious aircraft from entering the continental United States. After her final deployment of more anti-narcotics operations, she was sent to Mississippi for decommissioning preparations. The Navy decommissioned her on September the 30th, 2004, at which point she rested at the Philadelphia Naval Yard. That is, until September 2022, where she traveled to Brownsville, Texas for scrapping. And now, the ship is nothing more than a memory. Out of all the ships in this yard, perhaps the most prolific is even older than the Barry, the USS New Jersey. Classification BB-62. This is the United States Navy's most decorated vessel, and for a time, she called the Naval Yard home. BB-62, classified as an Iowa-class battleship, was the second ship to carry the name of New Jersey. Launched a year to the day of the infamous Pearl Harbor attacks on December the 7th, 1942, Mrs. Charles Edison, wife of Governor Edison of New Jersey, sponsored her. The Navy commissioned her at Philadelphia on May the 23rd, 1943, with Captain Carl F. Holden at the helm. She crossed the Panama Canal on January the 7th, 1944, with her training done and on the warpath. She took part in several battles for the assault on the Marshall Islands, screening aircraft carriers from Japanese attacks. However, by February, there was a new job for her. Admiral Raymond A. Spruance took her as his flagship for the 5th Fleet, assaulting a supposedly invincible Japanese naval base in the Caroline Islands. The USS New Jersey performed exceptionally in the Pacific Theater. While the US troops affectionately called her Big J, the Imperial Japanese Navy had another name, the Black Dragon. She was of a darker paint than her fellow vessels, and when she fired, her highly explosive rounds breathed fire upon her prey. Her most notable service as a flagship was under William F. Helsley Jr.'s 3rd Fleet, in which she took part in the battle for the Philippines, or more specifically, the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which was the largest naval battle in history from a manpower stance. At this point, the Imperial Japanese Navy had become nearly suicidal in their desperation. They planned a faint attack by a force of planeless heavy carriers from the north to draw away the battleships, cruisers, and fast carriers. The hope was to draw forces away from landings at the Leyte Islands. Then the center forces could enter the Gulf through the San Bernardino Strait and play havoc on the landing troops. Planes from the 3rd Fleet's carriers under the New Jersey's watchful guard opened the battle on October the 23rd by smashing into the Japanese southern and center forces and sinking a battleship. Admiral Helsey detected the faint force the next day and began shaping a new course, launching planes to strike at them. Bluntly speaking, they shattered the carrier force, sinking all four carriers present, as well as a destroyer and a cruiser. However, something was happening to his south. Thomas Kincaid, commander of the 7th Fleet and General Douglas MacArthur's main naval subordinate, had encountered the Japanese center forces in the Battle of the Cerigo Strait. In that battle, he brutally crushed the Japanese fleet, but the amphibious land forces only had coverage from TAF-3, a task force of six escort carriers, three destroyers, and four destroyer escorts. With a staff that small, a strike from the San Bernardino Strait would 
turn the landings into a bloodbath. However, Halsey had an answer for this. Task Force 34, a force made up of the 3rd Fleet's battleships, destroyers, and cruisers, would cover the San Bernardino Strait from the incoming assaults. Kincaid began contacting Halsey repeatedly, each time more desperate, asking where Task Force 34 was. However, Task Force 34 never formed. It was still within the 3rd Fleet too busy smashing the Japanese's faint force. This culminated in Admiral Chester Nimitz radioing one of the most famous messages of the war. Where is, repeat, where is Task Force 34? The world wonders. That last bit, the world wonders, was supposed to be meaningless padding to throw off Japanese codebreakers. However, the radio operator of the New Jersey mistakenly included it in the final message, and Halsey took this as a harsh reprimand from the commander of the Pacific Fleet himself. Halsey dispatched an airstrike at the Japanese center forces and took New Jersey and Iowa, his fastest battleships, along with three cruisers and eight destroyers, after the center force, in a futile attempt to make up for lost time. However, the center force had already hit TAF-3. The flagship of the center force, Yamato, the largest battleship ever created, bore down upon the small task force. Aboard one of these destroyers, the USS Johnson, Captain Ernest Evans reportedly made this intercom call to his ship. This will be a fight against overwhelming odds from which survival cannot be expected. We will do what damage we can. He then charged the approaching force. Taft-3's escort carriers launched all their planes, some not even loaded with weaponry, just to stun the Japanese forces with everything they could. While the Johnson sank along with the destroyer hull, the destroyer escort Samuel B. Roberts and the escort carrier Gambier Bay, the sheer ferocity of the Americans throughout the two-hour battle caused the Japanese forces to retreat. So by the time the USS New Jersey arrived, the center force was long gone. Rejoining her fast carriers on October the 27th near San Bernardino, they commenced several strikes near the main island of the Philippines. The Japanese Imperial Navy could no longer interfere with all the losses taken. It had taken on way too much damage. And so it was. The sun had set on the Rising Sun's Navy. The USS New Jersey continued service through World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War. The Navy decommissioned her in 1948, keeping her in the reserves in the Philadelphia Naval Yard between wars, but recommissioning when they needed her. In the Vietnam War, the USS New Jersey was the world's only active battleship, as the rest of the world had adopted carrier primacy over battleships. However, despite pushing 20 years in age, she was no slouch in Vietnam. With her new 16-inch shells, she provided much of the shore bombardment throughout the conflict, notably shelling the heavily fortified Han Mat Island so hard that a large part of it broke off and sank into the sea. With her high explosive rounds quite literally ripping the earth apart, the newspapers reported that the New Jersey sank an island. She continued providing shore bombardments throughout the entirety of the conflict, in total firing 5,688 rounds of 16-inch shells and 14,891 rounds of 5-inch shells. She was deactivated once again on December the 17th, 1969, entering the mothball fleet with her last commanding officer, 
Captain Robert C. Penston's words still echoing throughout her halls. Rest well, yet sleep lightly, and hear the call, if again sounded, to provide fire for freedom. President Ronald Reagan personally recommissioned her one last time in 1982, describing her with the phrase, still in the prime of life, a gallant lady, the New Jersey. As part of his 600-ship Navy program in the Cold War era arms race, New Jersey became the first battleship to launch a Tomahawk cruise missile, a harpoon missile. She was also the first battleship to enter the Persian Gulf and the first to lead a battle group in 30 years. As the past three ships did, she assisted in peacekeeping in Lebanon, but with the collapse of the Soviet Union, President George H.W. Bush ordered her final decommissioning, so she did not take part in Operation Desert Storm. On February the 8th, 1991, the USS New Jersey, one of the world's last battleships, entered the mothball fleet for a final time. The Navy struck her from the Naval Vessel Registry on January the 4th, 1999. However, she wouldn't remain in the Philadelphia Naval Yard. On September the 23rd, 2001, she moved to her current resting place, the Ceremonial Pier on the Camden Waterfront in New Jersey. Facing her birthplace in Philadelphia, she opened as a museum ship on October the 14th. And for good reason, she is the United States Navy's most decorated battleship, winning the most battle stars out of any vessel in its history. With all these stories covered, the question remains, why are the ships here in Philadelphia? Well, this base is one of three NISMFs owned by the United States Navy, an acronym for Naval Inactive Ship Maintenance Facility, with the other two being the Puget Sound Naval Shipyard in Brennerton, Washington, and the Pacific Fleet's headquarters in Pearl Harbor's North Lock. Surprisingly, there are 49 inactive ships across the nation, and 31 of those are in Philadelphia's yard, as it's a freshwater port which is much better for preventing rust. It remains an optimal location to store decommissioned ships. And well, in theory, these ships could be reactivated and refitted to serve the nation once again. In 2019, Vice Admiral Thomas Moore reported that their recommission would be too expensive for what little benefit they offered, with many of them already cannibalized for other ships. It would simply be too great of an effort to restore these outdated vessels. Well, the U.S. Navy is looking to grow its fleet to 335 ships by the 2030s, it is unlikely that any of these ships will rejoin them. Just as when the New Jersey returned, they would most likely enter the reserve fleet once again, eventually. So although they appear abandoned, and their primes have unfortunately passed, their history was spectacular. And therefore, their legacy, their stories, deserve to live on. And if you feel the same way, you can make a small difference by sharing this video. Don't forget to subscribe to its history, join our memberships, and a huge thanks to Call of War for sponsoring this video. Let's show our appreciation to the sponsor by clicking the link in the description below. This is Ryan Sokash, signing off.